the red actors are always innovating and looking for new ways to exploit systems. One of the worrying trends in recent months has been the rise of supply chain attacks, where hackers target the weaker links in a supply chain network, such as third-party vendors who may not have robust cybersecurity practices in place. The SolarWinds attack, which impacted everyone from Fortune 500 companies to government agencies, may have been the most high-profile example, but they're far from the only victim. Hi, thanks for joining us on the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. I'm Gary Cohen. Joining me as always, if I can say as always, it's only our second podcast, is Tyler Wall. Yeah, it's great to be here again. So we have a, a great guest today for the podcast. It's what you would call a name in the industry. We've got Eric Byers with us. Uh, Eric has been doing this for a long time. He's currently the CTO of Adolis Technology. Uh, he's a leading authority on software supply chain security, but has really been dealing with uh, securing industrial control systems and OT operational technology security for his whole career. Yeah, he's a really great and knowledgeable guy in the industry. Uh, we have a couple of different um, talks we've had with him too in the past. Yeah, he's been a good good friend of the site and uh, has given us a lot of good information on this. And so today he's going to be talking a little bit later about supply chain attacks and uh, what they're doing to the industry, how we can defend against them, and some tips and tricks to, to help us. Because uh, as we know, none of us are secure and supply chain is a, a scary thing because it's that wonderful philosophy of why hack one company when I can hack one company that allows me entrance into hundreds of companies like what happened with SolarWinds. Exactly. And they're uh, still just as present as they were even like a year or two ago and always, uh, always increasing. So if we do our jobs correctly, I'll say this should be a fun podcast. we got a couple of things to talk about today. We'll have Eric come on later. We'll talk supply chain attacks. But since we recorded our last podcast, Tyler and I also attended Black Hat, which is uh, a great event. It was the 25th anniversary out in Las Vegas this year. Tyler was lucky enough to, uh, to go out to Las Vegas and attend it in person. I attended it virtually. Yes. Yeah. So I was there in person. Like he said, uh, it's a pretty big cybersecurity event. It's kind of like the um the the big grand thing in the cybersecurity world if you will uh and so there were probably a couple thousand different people there from different um areas of the it world um they had a lot of great speakers that we're going to talk about a little bit later too like chris krebs uh, and then a couple different people from a company called omdia which does a bunch of different data analysis and yeah it was just a really cool environment to be in and kind of try and soak up all of this knowledge that all these different people have to offer. And while some of it was definitely above my pay grade, it was uh, very insightful and very interesting, especially with some of the stuff within that kind of 10,000 foot view. So we'll start off today by going through some of the things we learned in Black Hat, some of the trends that people talked about, the takeaways. Uh, we'll talk about Chris Krebs, who was uh, formerly the head of uh, CISA, but um, he did the keynote on the first day there, had some great things to talk about. He right now is the founding partner of the Krebs Stamos Group, former director of the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. So he's got years of experience in this. And because this was the 25th anniversary of Black Hat, his talk was about gauging where the industry is now and trying to guess where it's gonna be going in the next 25 years. So the primary questions I think he was trying to answer during that talk are, is the cybersecurity field on the right track and where do we go from here? Yeah, and I know there was one, one phrase in particular that he used that I really liked and it was um, digital exhaust. And the idea with that is basically that we all, all of the different devices we each use in our lives emit 
some sort of data that can be traced and tracked. So like, I know something he talked about was like the aura rings that people wear to track their sleep. Um, and it's just all emitting this data that can all be tracked. And it's a better phrase than I think digital footprint because digital footprint footprint implies that it just kind of stays in the same place. Um, whereas digital exhaust, it's uh, like exhaust, it can kind of spread and kind of move around a little bit. I really liked what he talked about with that and kind of how we might all be emitting data that we don't even know about. And, and likely are. Right. Um, and I would say his, his talk, it wasn't overwhelmingly negative, but I think the takeaway from it was probably things are going to get worse before they get better. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he was looking at the threat environment right now and through his work with, with CISA and beyond, he said he'd been talking to governments and asking them what they're trying, governments and private industry, and asking them what they're trying to accomplish. And according to him, all were orienting around three primary questions, which, again, are going to sound negative. It wasn't all negative. Uh, one, why are things so bad right now? Two, what are the trend lines and market forces influencing technology, government, bad actors? And three, what can we do about it? Which is where the kind of positivity came from. Um, Obviously, that room, I mean, Tyler, you were in the room. How many people were in there for that for that keynote address? There was probably a good, I would say, 1,500. Okay. Maybe so a that's a, you know, a lot of smart minds in there who have spent a lot of time working on these problems. And so... Oh, yeah. And they, they threw out like a country count, too, I think, of like the number of countries that were there. It was, it was wild, especially when they're comparing it to previous years. Mm -hmm. So... So for me on the, I'll start out talking about the question of why are things so bad? He said something, you know, you took away digital exhaust, which I think is a great phrase. The one that stuck with me the most, and I think it's a rather obvious insight if you really think about it, but I had never thought about it in these exact words, that ultimately software remains vulnerable because the benefits of unsecure systems far outweigh the downsides, which is kind of, of course, but that's a scary thought. And this idea that cybersecurity operates in kind of a bigger ecosystem, you know, businesses are not always, I won't say they're not focused on cybersecurity. It is most certainly not their primary focus. They're focused on productivity. They're focused on, focused on making money. They're focused on being first to market. And security is, for better or worse, generally worse, is seen as friction. It's something that slows things down. And so, as we integrate more and more insecure products, we're making it so much more complicated to manage risk. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And I also liked, because obviously he has worked for CISA before, before transferring over um, to his more private, uh, more private sector work, I guess I'll call it. Um, I did like also how we talked about kind of the need for some level, just to kind of keep things moving along government regulation, right? Because that helps set the frame for everybody else, at least publicly and privately. Um, and making sure that there is at least some sort of baseline for um, security. And he did talk quite a bit about government regulations and said oh, yeah. that government really thus far, and obviously he was a head of a big government agency that was tasked with creating more robust cybersecurity, has struggled with balancing uh, market interventions, regulations, with the standard capitalistic desire to allow innovation to grow, allow companies to make money and not hamper them. 
And so there's kind of been an uneven application of regulations at this point, like banking, the electric sector, highly regulated. A lot of other sectors are not. So, you know, his theory or his assertion was that government isn't the complete answer, but it's part of the answer. And I, I think one of the things that he said that I thought was really another thing he said that I thought was really interesting is so far, a lot of the government actions have been about compliance. You need to be you need to adhere to these standards. And what he said is we need more performance guidance. We need to be telling people what they should be doing, not just having them match up to criteria on a document. Oh, yeah. And I also liked, of course, his parting words, his his final final say, which is not I mean, it's tied to cybersecurity, but it's also tied to life itself, too. Um and those were basically like defining your principles, um, what you live by, what's important to you, uh, finding your people, your networks, and uh, that life is just too short to really work for assholes. You just got to kind of find the people that do care about you and what you care about for them, too, and meeting on that common ground within like your work environment. Um, and then uh, he, of course, mentioned how life is too short to eat bad food. Uh, so <laughs> make sure you eat well, uh, and then don't read the comments. It's not good for your mental health. So basically just, if it's something you truly believe in, and in this case, if cybersecurity is something you truly believe in, then make sure you do follow that passion. And, um, if it is what you know to be true, then stick to it. And then it'll prove itself to be true. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, it wasn't, again, it was a lot of, um, you know, he's he said he's bearish in the short term, bullish in the long term. I mean, we think we can solve these problems. Right now, we are not effectively solving these problems. And what you said about principles, that may seem a little highfalutin and high and mighty, but it really becomes practically important when you consider the geopolitical forces that are out there. When there is uh, a, a war between Russia and Ukraine, are your products supporting the, the whether you want them to or not? Are they supporting the Russian war effort? If they are, do you have a, a responsibility to step in and do something about it? You know, he mentioned the the major companies, the Googles, the Amazons, or uh, Alphabet is they they don't really have the the ability anymore to just step back and say we're not part of this. We're just part of the free market. They kind of have to take a stand now because their products are used globally and are being used in uh, being used by, by white hats and black hats who are out there. Oh yeah. And that kind of segues too into um, one of the talks that I went to um, at the Omdia summit. Uh, and this is basically one of the sponsors of this entire thing. Uh, so one of their primary analysts, Rick Turner, he talked about, uh, who is, by the way, sorry, he's a um, the senior principal, senior principal analyst at Amdia. Uh, he talked about zero trust and its place in the current land landscape. And what he kind of talked about was that zero trust is more of a philosophy than it is an actual like technology or service. Um, and basically, the slogan that is now goes along with zero trust is never trust, always verify, and continuously monitor. And he kind of went into a couple of the different applications of zero trust within privileged users, cloud assets, uh, remote access. And essentially what it all kind of boils down to is people are going to only have access to certain things that they need to. And they should only have access to certain things that they should need um, because that is what helps keep things secure. 
Um, so like with the privileged users, um, they should only have access to what they need and it follows the principle of least privilege. So with zero trust, it's all about just ensuring the most safe environment by not trusting anybody. Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of a theme with cybersecurity too, um, especially in the industrial side is just make sure you always verify what you're using, whether that be a firewall, a software, a patch, and continuously making sure that it is actually doing what it is supposed to do. And on that friction point, that does, you know, that becomes complicated when you're talking internally about a company. It makes sense to say, don't trust anybody from the outside, but that also zero trust. You know, you're talking about people in your own company too. You can't trust anybody coming in. And so the, that philosophy is based on don't trust anyone out there. And that can create some business friction, but uh, but is a, a decent way to secure a network. Yeah, it is. And something he mentioned too is that like the C-suite doesn't like zero trust too, um, which if you think about it, kind of makes sense because that would mean that they have to they have to be um, aware of anything that's actually happening like issue wise. And like they don't want, there to be issues but they also if there are issues they don't want to know that there are issues so with this idea of zero trust it's also just putting everything out on the playing field and making sure you are acknowledging everything that way you're being the most secure that you can be um and he also talks about too uh about how the government is starting to step in now and establishing like with these zero trust as a service because that's what zero trust started out as it started out as a service um, and it still is a service. And now uh, CISA is starting to step in and um, uh, set a precedent for these services so they aren't just essentially scamming you. Yeah, it's and and, and back to the idea of uh, of you know the that sort of business friction we just talked about. Yeah, let's be let's be honest. It's not like there aren't internal threats. It doesn't mean that everybody who works for the company is a bad actor and trying sure. to sabotage you. But, you know, find me the human that hasn't been a little bit lax with their password security. Find me the human that hasn't clicked a link they probably shouldn't have in their life. And, you know, you spend 12 hours a day on your work computer. Yeah, that becomes something that is is susceptible. So whether you are intending to produce harm or not, internal actors are still producing harm oh yeah and i am i know i am certainly guilty so <laughs> password wise that's but, a fantastic thing to hear oh. uh so one thing we'll talk about i'm gonna sort of segue us back to eric byers our guest today um one of the things that i that i want to go back to and this is this was a theme uh throughout black hat too was this idea of complexity krebs touched on it i would imagine a lot of people in this omnia summit touched on it um, Krebs called it our pathological need to connect stuff to the internet. The landscape just keeps getting more complex. We're generating more data. We're connecting more things. Uh, we are, you mentioned as a service, we're outsourcing a lot of these things. Companies very logically are saying, we don't do this task well. So let's hire this outside company that does it. And now you've allowed an outside company in your networks, mm -hmm. which is where we get to, um, what our guest Eric Byers talked about, which is supply chain attacks. I mean, that is threat actors going out there and looking for the weakest link in the supply chain. Software networks are generally, whether they come from huge manufacturers, Siemens, Rockwell, 
all of the products in there do not come from Siemens and Rockwell. A Google product, not every product comes, a piece, not every little bit of code in that software comes from Google. They come from outside sources. And if a threat actor can find one weak link in that chain that does not have good cybersecurity practice, they can get into this major piece of software and then they can wreak havoc in the same way that you saw with companies like Kaseya, like ways that you saw with a company like SolarWinds, where suddenly you are getting into huge, huge companies and causing a whole lot of damage. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he gets into some solutions is a strong word, things to help mitigate too, as he as he talks further and further. And um, those are definitely beneficial points to take away. And even like applying some of the stuff too from Black Hat too, like minimizing attack surfaces is a great way to help um, at least mitigate any cyber attack, but especially um, these supply chain attacks, because these are these are really the most weak points in the whole process. So that's why these are such frequent cyber attacks right now next to like ransomware attacks. He mentioned in our interview, uh, talk, talking about why they're so prevalent, there's been a 430% increase in supply chain attacks in the last year, uh, which is a relatively scary number. And he also... The the thing that he said that stuck with me, we we talked about this in the first podcast. There's always one moment when I when we talk to a guest where I get a little scared. And he was talking about how this combination of supply chain and ransomware, I believe he called it a train wreck, that it's going to cause huge problems because, you know, pe look, people who are trying to ransom companies, as we talked about in our last podcast, they're looking for money. They're looking for pain points where they can collect the most in a supply chain. If you suddenly, instead of hacking one company, you're hacking hundreds of thousands of companies, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, well, suddenly your payday just went way up. And so that's a, a pretty scary thought. There are interventions that people are trying. There's been executive orders from the government. Um, there are things that we can do, one of which we'll talk about is software bill of materials, which... Um, Again, he'll explain in there, but it's a, you know, an itemized list of what is in a piece of software. The government is asking companies to have these. Uh, without them, you just don't know what you're defending. There is no way, even if you're a company who has good cybersecurity and you're running all your patches and doing everything you're supposed to do, if you don't know what's in your software, you do not know what your vulnerabilities are and are therefore vulnerable. Exactly. So on that, let's, uh, let's actually introduce Eric, who we've teased many times, but uh, we'll actually bring him in here. Eric's an award-winning expert in the field of ICS and OT security. He's a leader in international standards development and the creator of the Tofino Firewall, which most of you have probably heard of. It's the world's most widely deployed ICS security appliance. Today, he's the CTO of Adolis Technology, Inc., and a leading authority on software supply chain, which is why we brought him in today. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. So um, let's start with just general trends in cyber attacks. What trends are you seeing in cyber attacks, especially against industrial control systems? Um, I think, well, we'll I'll start with uh, just cyber attacks in general, and then whatever's going on in general cyber attacks ends up landing on the uh, OT uh, industrial systems uh, plate pretty quickly. But you know what you mentioned in your introduction, um, this increase in supply chain attacks. Uh, we've seen in the last year about a 430% increase uh, last year in supply chain attacks. I'll, I suspect we'll see the same next year when this year wraps up. Um, and then the other thing, of course, everybody's noticing is ransomware attacks. 
And the two combined is just a train wreck. It's just, it's really a serious problem. Uh, so what are the latest supply chain regulations and how will they impact ICS companies? Well, um, you mentioned the solar winds attacks and that has certainly got the attention of the US government. Um, and uh, that drove uh, the executive order uh, 14028 uh, that came out in May. And what's really interesting about that executive order, it's, in, it's intention is to improve the cybersecurity of, of the nation. Um, is that most executive orders are pretty tiny. They're like two pages. This was 18 pages of dense text and um, at least 25 to 30% of it was around addressing supply chain attacks. And the reason was, is that um, the solar winds attacks and other attacks we've been seeing like that um, really, really have started to concern the US government. And, and you know, the thing about a supply chain attack is it's, it's uh, the attackers are attacking the weakest party in the link. So, you know, if you're a large oil company, for example, you can have perfect security, do a fantastic job, but if just one of your suppliers is um, not holding up their part of the bargain, then you're gonna get attacked. And we've seen these attacks directly against the ICS market um, and, and providers. We've seen um, tier two suppliers in Europe uh, for ICS equipment get hacked uh, and have their software that they're distributing to say pharmaceutical companies uh, trojanized so that as soon as the pharmaceutical company ends up loading this software they think is legitimate, then uh, all of a sudden the bad guys have this foothold deep inside the industrial plant. So, you know, the first piece of uh, regulation we saw coming out was this executive order. Now, executive orders are not legislation. Um, their uh, requirements for the government to follow. And it basically said, hey, if you're going to supply anything to the US government, you're going to have to clean up your supply chain act and start um, um, making sure that um, you, your suppliers and the government can manage uh, and understand uh, what components are in a software package. That's the first one. But uh, subsequent to that, we've had a whole bunch of others uh, that are starting to show up as well. It seems like it's a whole new way, or at least from an outside perspective, that you have to look at your cybersecurity of your company. Is It's not just the product you're selling. It's all of the other things that touch that product. I mean, if you look at software, most software isn't built of one type of software. There's all these different things that feed into it that now you have to worry about because if one of those has weak cybersecurity, then your systems are also at risk. Yeah, it is a new way to look at it. Um, and it's, it's come out because the bad guys have been looking at it this way. I mean, they've been saying, hey, um, why, you know, why go directly after um, the US government? Let's just go after one of their suppliers or one of their suppliers' suppliers. So, you know, recently we've um, had this um, security incident occur with a very, very large supplier of an operating system that's used heavily uh, in the industrial space called Cunix. Uh, and, and that company, you know, supplies a lot of the major OEMs that we all know and love. Um, but if you're a purchaser of those PLCs and DCS, you'll have no idea that you're running Cunix. So when a vulnerability comes out, you just don't know that you're vulnerable and you won't patch it. Um, you won't know what to do. Um, so, you know, and the bad guys, however, they've got all these tools that will attack. They'll know, hey, oh, that controller is running Cunix. Therefore, there's this Cunix problem. 
uh, this vulnerability, we can exploit it. So unfortunately, the industry is very, very far behind the attacker. Um, and we've got to, you know, that's the reason for the executive order. We're seeing it in the power industry with the uh, uh, NERC SIP uh, 013 um, supply chain regulations. We're seeing it uh, in related industries like the medical industry. We're seeing it in the aerospace industry. Uh, we're seeing it in Europe. We're seeing it in the Middle East where um, the major companies, major asset owners and the governments are saying, hey, we got to work together. And, and that's really what it's about is it's providing this transparency. So um, one supplier company's problems don't propagate right through the entire chain and make it a problem for a refinery or a pipeline. Um, we don't need any more of these uh, disasters like solar winds or colonial pipelines. Um, and the only way we're gonna do that is by starting to understand everybody who's playing uh, when you buy software. So how have companies been managing software supply chain risk and what do they need to be doing going forward? They haven't been. I mean, you know, honestly, uh, supply chain risk has generally been just right off the radar. Um, you know, few companies have, uh, uh, you know, either the manufacturers, the manufacturers of, of industrial equipment will tend to have a little bit more of a supply chain uh, management plan. Um, but usually it's only one layer down. They know who they buy from, but they really don't know who uh, those suppliers buy from or where they get components. I mean, I know this firsthand because I, when I was working for Tofino, we sold Tofinos to all sorts of companies like, um, you know, Honeywell and Caterpillar and Schneider. Um, and they knew they were buying from us, but they didn't know what components we bought uh, and, and put into those firewalls. And we didn't know further down the chain. So the honest and sad answer is um, until recently, supply chain management just was non-existent um, in the software space. Um, and this is a real game of catch up going on right now. Does this feel like it's going to be the next frontier of cyber warfare? I mean, you look at all the ransomware and things that are going on. <laughs> Why hit one company when I can hit one company that will allow me to hit 100 companies? Yeah, I mean, it's not even the next. It is the frontier. <laughs> We're here now. Casera, um, you know, I gave a talk a little while ago um, saying, God help us if uh, ransomware meets supply chain attacks because the ransomware people can just uh, attack one company and get ransomware into 100 companies. And sure enough, Casera did that. Um, and uh, when was that? About a month ago. And that was the whole idea. Um, basically taking advantage of one week supplier of uh, um, basically a network management package. And uh, because that all their customers trusted that they were getting good software, suddenly they were accepting what was effectively uh, ransomware into their companies. So uh, how can a company who's trying to protect themselves against a supply chain attack get some visibility into what all these various components are that are going into their systems, the systems they're buying, like the Tofino firewall that you mentioned? Yeah, you know, that's a, a great question. And, and in fact, that's the question that everybody was worrying about this for the last few years, including myself, um, we're saying, well, how are we gonna clean this mess up? And I think we've all settled on something called a software bill of materials. Um, and, and the software bill of materials is not that complicated. It, the idea is 
Just like you can go um, and get a bill of materials on the parts in a piece of machinery, um, can you get a bill of materials on all the components in a software package? You might even think of it uh, as an ingredients list, just a nested ingredients list. I buy a can of soup, um, it's tomato soup, and I wanna know what the ingredients are. Um, oh yeah, there's a little water, there's a little sugar, there's a little tomatoes, there's a little MSG, there's a little whatever. And, and then I can use those ingredients lists to make informed decision of A, am I gonna buy the soup? Am I going to eat the soup? Am I going, you know, what, what, what am I gonna do? And the same applies to software now. Um, it's the idea is, okay, these are all the components in this soup, uh, this software soup that I've just bought, an industrial controller or an HMI or a data historian. Um, what of those ingredients uh, pose a risk to my operations? And then how do I prioritize that? But the very first thing is, is what the uh, US government's NTIA uh, describes as a uh, software transparency. Tell me what's in the soup. So you mentioned the executive order a, a few times. Um, it obviously discusses software bill of materials in there. I'm gonna ask your opinion here, if you're willing to yeah. give it, uh, which is how much of an impact can an executive order have in curbing these sorts of supply chain attacks? Um, I think it can have a lot of impact. I mean, first of all, the US government's a pretty big purchaser. Uh, you know, they buy a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, you don't think about it in the industrial space, but you know, every military base has uh, extensive power management systems, uh, extensive water management system, fuel management systems. Um, often they have manufacturing systems. So there's a lot of ICS gear that the US government buys and ditto for dams and ditto for um, water systems and just so A, they're a big customer. But beyond them being just a big customer, uh, they sort of are setting the baseline. And so, for example, uh, I've become aware of a large Middle Eastern oil company, and they're um, saying, wow, the U.S. government is going to demand um, better supply chain information from the ICS suppliers. Guess what we're going to do? And it's going to be really hard for the majors, whether you're Honeywell or Rockwell or Siemens or whoever, to say, oh, yeah, we'll only give that information to the U.S. government. I'm really sorry, major oil company. I'm not going to give it to you. It's just not going to happen. Um, and there's some pretty good evidence that once you have these sort of minimum um, requirements sort of set by the U.S. government, they, that becomes the floor for requirements right across the industry. We're also seeing this happening in the financial industry. Um, there was a really good talk a little while ago by the former chief scientists of Bank of America talking about how in the financial industry, um, if companies don't supply software bill of materials, with their software they're supplying, then the banks consider that they are taking undue risk and then they'll demand some sort of compensation and the compensation can be better support, some sort of warranty against attacks, uh, massive discounts. So um, even though a lot of companies won't be buying or selling to the US government um, or maybe it's outside the US, um, you know, Europe, et cetera, I think what we've had happen here is uh, the bar has been set. And I don't think there's gonna be any going back. Companies will have to um, provide um, bill of materials information on the software and support around that uh, so that their customers are not at risk. 
Well, that's a heartening way to end the interview. Outstanding, Eric. Thanks so much for being with us. And thanks for shining some light on these supply chain attacks for us. Thanks very much. Well, there you have it. Another great interview with Eric Byers. Always has a lot of good information. <laughs> During that interview, the thing that was the most eye-opening for me or the most alarming is when I asked him how companies are managing supply chain risk. And his answer quickly was, they're not, which is uh, probably not where we want to be given the threat that's out there. No, definitely not. Um, and like you said, there is some level of government intervention starting to take place. But like you said, the industry is very far behind the attacker right now. Um, and what he did say about S-bombs, I think that is going to be at least an important part to helping mitigate supply chain attacks, not necessarily in stopping them, but more so identifying them. And to be more at least self-aware of it, that way you can catch it before a attack actually happens. In right. Terms. I mean, there's so many factors that go into to cybersecurity, but really it's all about visibility and S-bombs can give you a little bit of that visibility. It's a yes. soup can analogy. At least you know what's in the can of soup. Then it's your job to defend against, to patch, to, to shore up those vulnerabilities. But it's impossible to do that until you know what the vulnerabilities are. Um, the other thing when he was talking about uh, the, that combination of ransomware and supply chain, it brought me back to something that Chris Krebs said in that Black Hat keynote is, one of the reasons ransomware is proliferating so much right now and it's so dangerous is that the bad actors out there really aren't feeling significant pain. There's money out there for the taking and it's really costing most hackers nothing most of the time to do this. They are not getting caught. The, the government companies really aren't inflicting enough pain on them at this point, aren't, in, aren't imposing meaningful costs on these bad actors. And until that happens, that threat's not gonna go away, which means, Companies are at risk, networks are at risk, and obviously the supply chain is also. Yeah, and it is it is really, really crazy about how with ransomware as a service, it just enables anybody to become a threat actor and um, take advantage of these companies by taking their data and all of that. Yeah, and, and again, there's hardly any cost for them, and there's a whole lot of profit to be made. By the way, a very important point here is, this is going to depend on your age, I think. Uh, what we're giving you on Black Hat right now, and even on Eric Byers, you're getting either the Cliff Notes, Spark Notes, whatever, the short version. Uh, we have much more detailed versions of these on our website at industrialcybersecuritypulse.com. We wrote summaries uh, of a lot of the Black Hat briefings. Um, Tyler wrote a lot of summaries from that Omnia analyst event. So there's a lot of great detail on there. You can also find articles on our site with Eric Byers where he talks more about supply chain risk, S-bombs, and all sorts of threats that are out there. Yeah, and we're going to keep um, posting some Black Hat articles in the upcoming weeks, too. So there'll be a whole slew of Black Hat content there for you to read all about. And we'll keep talking about it, too, um, here and there throughout our podcasting. But make sure you stay tuned next time for our next podcast. These are going to be dropping uh, every week. And for more great content, of course, like Gary said, uh, visit us on industrialcybersecuritypulse.com. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Yep, talk to you next time. Stay safe out there. <laughs>